Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Women Scholars and Professionals podcast. My name is Anne Boyd, and I'll be your host. We at Women Scholars and Professionals are here to support women in their God-given callings into the university and beyond. So if you're a graduate student or a faculty member, an administrator or a student in professional school, a scholar in between jobs, or simply a person who supports women in the academic world, then this podcast is for you. Can I introduce you to a very special person? Lynn Gill is a chemist, a scholar, a lover of books, a devoted follower of Jesus, and the recently appointed Vice President for InterVarsity's Graduate and Faculty Ministries. I sat down with Lynn to hear a little bit about her life, her love for graduate students and faculty, and her faith journey. And I promise I'm not just saying this because she is my boss's boss's boss. Lynn is a truly remarkable person with deep spiritual wisdom and lots of stories to show for it. I found it fascinating to hear about Lynn's complex career path and the way she discerned each next step. She offers sound advice for thriving in challenging times. And if you listen to the end of the podcast, I've included an excerpt from our conversation where Lynn talks about a few practical ways she balanced parenting with her career. So let me tell you a little bit more about her. Lynn Gill completed her PhD in analytical chemistry at Purdue University. She worked in the pharmaceutical industry before joining InterVarsity's graduate and faculty ministries in 1999. She has planted and built graduate student and faculty fellowships in North Carolina, New Mexico, Southern California, and the Western United States. In addition, she has led teams of staff focused on undergraduate, graduate student, and faculty ministry. Currently, she serves as Vice President for InterVarsity's Graduate and Faculty Ministries team. Lynn lives in Bellingham, Washington with her husband David, an engineering faculty member at Western Washington University, and their labradoodle, Bojangles, who likes to take them running and walking on the beautiful trails of the Northwest. They have two children in college. So let's dive right in. We're so glad you're here. Lynn, it is just a delight to have you on the podcast with us. I'm really, really excited that our listeners will be able to get to know you a little bit. And I'd love to start by asking you to tell us your story. What What was your childhood like? How did you grow up? How did you find your way into academia? Those kinds of things. Great. Thanks, Anne. Yeah, I'm really glad to be here and grateful for your podcast and what it offers um, to women um, and graduate students, um, faculty, professionals. Um, grateful for that. Yeah, my childhood growing up, uh, I started life in Minnesota and lived there until seventh grade. I loved to read. That was my thing. You could always find me reading a book. Even when my mom sent me outside, I would generally bring a book and climb a tree and read out there. I don't think that was maybe her intent, but that was <laughs> how I, I, I loved, uh, I love to read. 
um, and I read anything that we got. So um, our family went to church occasionally. Um, I remember getting a Bible, though, in third grade and was really excited because it's another book to read. And so was reading the story of the feeding of the 5,000 and um, taking the two loaves and the or the two fish and the th- five loaves and multiplying it. And um, I went to my mom and like, do you know, this is so exciting what Jesus did. And my mom said, well, I don't know that they really counted the same back then. And I don't know if you can really believe everything you read. And so, so that was just, that's just a data point. So that'll come back in my story later. Cause it's kind of like, then what do you do with it? Like, what do you do with the Bible? If it's just another story. Um, so fast forward, we had moved to Massachusetts when I was, um, in seventh grade. I then did a lot in high school with science fairs. I found out that that was kind of a fun thing to do. I found out you could go to the state science fair. And then I found out there was an international one. So my senior year, I was able to go to the international science fair, which that year happened in Knoxville, Tennessee, but that was still a new different place that I had never been to. Um, And that was where I got kind of the love of research and science. And um, so when I went decided to go to college, I went to the University of Rochester in upstate New York and was going to study chemistry and was excited for it and realized my high school had not prepared me well for the academics of it. Um, So struggled some my um, freshman, sophomore year. Um, But what I said to my dad, like I wanted to change to English as a major. And he said, well, I'll stop paying for college. And so I was like, okay. So um, I stayed as a chemistry major, but then I added English as a double major. And the reason for that was it meant I got to read books on the weekend and I was still doing homework. (laughs) Um, So also in, after my sophomore year, I, I got an internship um, through Eastman Kodak company. And so that got me hands on kind of science again. And I loved that. And so I, I kept pushing through. Um, And really, by my junior year, finally, things started to click and I had caught up. And so loved that science. So maybe my dad knew me better than I knew myself at that point Mm -hmm. to keep me going in that direction. Although I still loved the English classes, I'll have to say I stayed with that and loved that double major. And I think I think it helped me to be more creative in science that I was also doing the humanities. Mm. Um, So at the University of Rochester, the other big thing that happened um, was I had, I'll call her the persistent widow. It was a, a woman in the dorms who she was a year behind me, but she kept inviting me to this Bible study. And I was like, well, I don't know what to do with that. I don't, you know, there's, but I finally, I think just to satisfy her, I said, yes, I'll come. I'll, Mm -hmm. I'll see what it's like. And I think it was more out of the, if I say yes and go, then I can say, well, I've been there and it's not for me. Right. But what I found there was a group of students studying um, the letters of John and living them out. Mm. And the letters of John are all about, loving one another and they were living out that love and there was a sense of community in that group care for one another 
that I had never experienced anywhere else. And they also, they took the scriptures seriously. And so they were, um, they thought that it was something that you actually could believe and you needed to believe. And, and so it was through that, um, this was kind of the end of my sophomore year that I started to see, oh, there's something here that I've never experienced. Um, and it was, I think, early in my junior year where I said yes to Jesus, like, I want to follow you and got involved. Um, my senior year, I was leading a bi- small group Bible study um, with another friend. And that's where I was discipled and brought up and kind of realized, like, this is something that I can believe. Well, one other story from my internships. Um, I remember that first summer, my mentor said, oh, well, you're going on to get a PhD, right? And I was like, no, I don't think so. Like, not planning on it. Like, I had, my parents hadn't gone to graduate school. It wasn't something that I had any box for. Four years seemed like it was going to be hard enough. Like what, um, but by the end of the summer, what I realized is if I stayed with a bachelor's degree in chemistry, I would just do what somebody else told me to do. Mm -hmm. I would just, here's, here's kind of the recipe to follow, do that. And I'm like, oh yeah, okay. Maybe I do need to go to graduate school. And so that was when I started to think about maybe graduate school would be what's, what's next. Mm -hmm. Um, I ended up going to Purdue University in Indiana. I was still a relatively new Christian and realized mm-hmm. I needed community. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of looking for where can I um, get plugged in. And I met a woman and she was doing her PhD in English, which is kind of ironic. But um, she was uh, she had been done a master's degree at another university and had been part of a grad fellowship. And she's like, oh, we just need to start a grad fellowship. That's what, an intervarsity grad group. She's like, that's what we need. So we started meeting for lunch, praying about it. Um, Lord, what would you have us do? And so for an entire semester, we met once a week for lunch and to pray for something to get started. I went to the Urbana Student Missions Conference over Christmas that year and led a small group Bible study and was asked by my undergrad staff if I would consider coming on staff. And I felt a really strong sense that God had me in grad school for Mm -hmm. a reason and that I was supposed to get a PhD. And so I, I didn't think it was an option to kind of come on staff. Um, and so went back to, uh, Purdue in January and started inviting some of my colleagues to join us in a small group Bible study. And so met, we found about seven, uh, I think there were seven chemists and my English major friend in our, our small group. Um, and we were studying one of the gospels and it was just, it became that community of where it was great because some of those chemistry grad students were further along in the program. Mm -hmm. And so when you got to those places where you thought, man, I'm not sure I can make it through, they could say, no, actually you're hitting that normal spot. Everybody at this point wants to quit. Everybody thinks I'm not good enough. And so having those other people that had walked a little bit further ahead of me um, was really supportive. And I think I honestly could say that 
I don't know that I would have made it through graduate school without that community. Mm -hmm. Wow. Part of that experience then in that is we had that one Bible study that year, a group of us went up to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan where they were doing a grad camp um, for graduate students um, who wanted to know more about following Jesus in grad school. And there we caught the vision of InterVarsity's grad and faculty ministry, like their four commitments, community, spiritual formation and prayer, evangelism and service, and then integration of faith, learning and practice. And so the group of us that went up there, which was, I think, about seven, um, said, we want to we want to come back to campus and really start a fellowship. Let's see if we can grow this. And so we went from one small group that spring to two the next fall. The next year we had four and we added a large group, weekly large group meeting where we would invite faculty to come in and speak or local pastors, um, people to help us faculty to help us think about how do we integrate our faith um, with what we're doing. And that continued um, throughout my five years in graduate school. And it ended up growing to about seven small groups and 50 students meeting weekly. And it was just an, we also did outreach to international students and inviting them into our community, which was, uh, I really enjoyed the times and the conversations that I had Um, with my international student colleagues. Mm -hmm. And so that was a key part of my graduate was actually being part of this community and helped me to make it through graduate school. Um, I then went to work in the pharmaceutical industry. And I think the story there that might be helpful for people to hear is I had gotten offered kind of what I thought would be my ideal job. couple years prior to that, I had met my husband through this graduate fellowship and we had gotten Mm -hmm. married. Um, He decided he was working on a PhD and decided to stop with a master's because he realized that what he was getting his PhD in, he didn't want the end result of what the job would be. And so Mm -hmm. he's like, I think I should stop with a master's and go work. And so he was able to find a job in... um, West Lafayette, where we lived, which was a real blessing. And so he was doing engineering and, and now I was allowed to finish. But then when I finished my PhD, my ideal job was in a town four hours away. And while my advisor thought I should commute, my husband and I really discerned, I don't think that's the best for us. And there wasn't anything in that town for him. Mm -hmm. Um, he knew he might want to go on for a PhD. There wasn't a PhD program. He had just switched jobs. He's like, I'm not sure I can do that. And so that was our first like really hard conversation of marriage. Like here you are, you think this is what I wanted to do, but then God provided me another job, a PhD job at a pharmaceutical lab in Lafayette. And so I said yes to that. Um, And then I was allowed to still volunteer on evenings and weekends to lead a Bible study for international students um, with our grad fellowship. And what I learned throughout that next year was I was still working 60 to 80 hours a week for this pharmaceutical company. um, But what I was really enjoying were these Bible studies with the international students. So when my husband decided to go back for his PhD and he knew he didn't want to be at Purdue because he wanted a more hands-on practical rather than theoretical, um, 
And he said, NC State has a program I need. I said, okay. And I started interviewing for pharmaceutical jobs. And then I also had a staff colleague who said, you know, maybe you got um, that PhD for a different reason. Mm-hmm. Would you consider coming on staff? And so I applied for both and felt like God had left the door open for me to choose. And that's when I said yes to coming on um, InterVarsity staff um, to wow. serve grad, grad students. I thought at just grad students at North Carolina State. And mm-hmm. then my supervisor said, oh, by the way, you're also going to start a faculty group. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm someone, if you tell me like, hey, this is what you need to do. I'm like, I'm willing to give it a try. Mm-hmm. And so I started meeting with faculty and just seeing what they wanted, what they could do or what we could do to serve them. And in God's sense of humor, the first meeting we had, there were um, about seven men that were all in their 50s and 60s. And then me, who was 29. And I was like, (laughs) okay, Lord, I don't really know what you're going to do with this. But, um, oh, the other person that was there was uh, director of another campus ministry. And I was like, what's he doing here? And it turned out what he was doing is he's like, we used to have a faculty ministry. We don't have one now, but Lynn is great. I've met her through the chaplain's meetings and I think you should follow her. She's here to serve you and we're not planning to bring somebody else. And so it was really a blessing. And the faculty said, you know, we know we need to meet, but we don't have time to organize something. So if you'll organize it and set it up, we'll be here every week. And so we started a book discussion and we would trade off who was leading it. And they kept saying, well, we want you to lead too. And I'm like, okay. And so um, it was, it was a great, a great group. And I'm really Mm -hmm. glad I was kind of challenged to start that uh, faculty group. And then we also had a grad student Bible study there. Spent three years in North Carolina, loved it, would have loved to stay longer. Um, But when my husband graduated, there were no PhD mechanical engineering jobs in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And so that was another point where, well, I had to kind of relinquish what I thought my life would look like and go where he could find a job, Mm -hmm. which ended up being New Mexico, which was probably not the place we would put the next grad ministry staff. And so I, I wrestled like, Lord, what are we doing? Like what I could not see when we moved, what God would have for me in that place. Mm-hmm. Um, and God, but God was faithful. He had something in mind. And so when I called the national director of GFM at that point and said, Hey, I know this isn't probably where you're going to put a grad staff, but if I'm going, is there anything I can do? And at that time, he said, well, we have this conference called Following Christ, and it's coming up in Atlanta in December. And there are four chapters of grad students in Southern California that don't have staff. Could you go and see if you can recruit any of those students to come to Atlanta in December? Wow. And I was like, well, I can try. <laughs> like, I, I'm like, they don't know who I am. There's a theme here. <laughs> Yeah, so I went, um, the campuses were UC San Diego, UC Irvine, UCLA, and UC Santa Barbara. So those familiar with 
the geography of Southern California know that those are not right next to each other. And so I landed and kind of drove up the coast and stopping at each of the places, um, meeting with students, kind of getting to know them, inviting them to this conference. And I think through the Lord's grace, 12 of them ended up coming to Atlanta wow. in December. Um, and it was a great group of students. Um, we got, I gathered them together while we were there. And then they said, well, when are you coming back to Southern California? When are you going to come visit us again? Wow. And so um, that started my itinerating um, to Southern California from New Mexico um, about four times a year. I would three times a year, I would go and visit the different chapters. And then one time a year, I would set up a retreat or conference mm -hmm. or something for them. Um, and I would do that for the next seven years. Uh, we And we actually grew from the four fellowships to seven. Mm -hmm. um, we started a faculty conference. Um, we had the largest one day faculty conference. And there's a fun story with that. So in the midst of doing the seven, the seven years of itineration, um, we had two children. Mm -hmm. And if people ask, well, how did you do that? I will say it's because my husband was a saint. Oh. He actually used his vacation to come along um, when we had a nursing infant so that mm. he could have the infant and I could meet with students. And then I would meet up with him when the, the uh, child needed to nurse. And he was, he spent a lot of time pushing strollers around campuses. Our son learned to walk up the stairs of the intercultural center, I think at UC Santa Barbara. Um, I love it. <laughs> and so, you know, he was, he was willing cause he had seen, um, he had been part of the fellowship. That's how I met him and at Purdue and he saw God using my gifts and wanted to, to help me to, to do that and knew the sacrifices I had made so that he could, do his career as well. Yeah. And so God was good in that season. Um, a funny story with this faculty conference was I had the vision for a faculty, a one day conference and then found out I was pregnant. Wow. And so during the key planning times of that, you would be doing a conference, I was going to be on maternity leave. And so what I had to do is raise up a group of faculty that to say, here's the idea, here's the speaker, here's my vision for it, but do you want to implement it? And they were willing to host it. And because the faculty were the ones planning it, hosting it, they invited all their colleagues to come because they're like, if we're putting in the work, we want people to come. And yeah. so that's how it became, I think, the largest one day faculty conference at that point. Um, and they had 150 students and grad students that showed up. And I basically came back from maternity leave um, in time to attend the conference. Oh, and that's great. You got to go. Yeah. Yeah. I got to go and my daughter got to go. And there was another faculty that I'm really good friends with. And her daughter was the exact same age. We had had children at the same time. And so got to sit in the back with our, our girls and, yeah, enjoy what they had what the fruit of the labor had been. And so for me, it's a story of how God can provide even when we don't see the way forward. Mm -hmm. And I think that's been a repeated theme in my life that 
he has something in mind. And sometimes even when we can't do it and we have to let go, he can take it from there. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this current cultural moment. There's a lot of heaviness in the air, and I'm just curious to know about any spiritual habits you practice to keep things in perspective and stay grounded in your faith. In these times, for me personally, it's how do I start my day with Jesus at the beginning of it um, and not the news? So I think for me, it's that what's first, what comes, what enters into my mind first. Um, I've really appreciated the Lectio 365 app um, because it has this rhythm of prayer and reflection and being in the word and also thinking about the mission of God and reaching out. Mm -hmm. And so if I can have that lens be my first lens that I look at the day in, um, and inviting Jesus into my day, um, that makes a big difference in how I experience the day and I experience the things around me. Um, not to minimize any of the things that are around us, because I think we do need to engage them. And But I think if I come into it, if, if I read, and this is for me personally, but if I read the news first, I start my day very differently than if I start my day in scripture and looking at the bigger picture of who God has been faithful, like how he has been faithful through some really rocky times in history. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's one thing that kind of has helped me um, is just to think about that. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Are there, are there any other um, spiritual practices or, habits that you have found to be really helpful in your own life or that you've noticed um, can be particularly helpful for graduate students and faculty? Yeah. So in graduate school, I had to make the decision that Sabbath was going to be important. I work for an advisor who um, everybody in my lab, of there were about 22 graduate students, worked seven days a week. Um, my advisor did as well. He wanted 60 to 80 hours a week was the expectation. And, um, I just had this sense, I think as a new believer and this trust that God wanted something different. Um, part of that retreat in the upper peninsula of Michigan was to experience a retreat of silence. And that started me thinking more about Sabbath. And so I felt this um, pretty distinct, I think from God really like, will you trust me and take a Sabbath? Um, and so I, I worked six days a week, but I didn't work seven. Um, and I, and I said to God, if you, if I can't do this PhD in six days a week, then maybe it's not from you. Mm -hmm. And then you have something else for me. Um, but I also felt like, following God's ways, I would be more creative and do better work than if I was there seven days a week. And so I think my advisor let it happen. And by the end, I think he actually honored it and said, because we had a funder who was coming in on a Sunday was the day that I took a Sabbath. 
um, who was coming in um, and they were the major funder for my project for his research. And he's like, I know you take Sunday off, but I'm wondering, could you come in in the afternoon? And I said, it's not legalistic for me. I'm happy. Like I understood he needed me to report on the research because this is how he got his funding. And I'm like, I am happy to come in and do that. And, and he's like, and I said, and I can come in the morning. And he's like, no, 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 no. You go to church first. He's like, other people can present and then you can come in in the afternoon and share what you're doing. And so he respected me and honored. I think he saw how important it was. And the fact that I ended up doing good work that was used in other people's projects later on. But I also felt like God honored it too, because he was the one that, yeah, just provided a way for my research to move forward, even in the midst of being faithful to taking a Sabbath. And so it can feel hard and scary and um, like a risk. And and when you start it, you don't know the ending. Because mm-hmm. it could have been that my advisor said, no. Um, and, but he, God was gracious in the yeah. midst of it. In addition to Sabbath, I would probably say, like, having... Um, a spiritual director or a mentor or a coach is another way that I think mm-hmm. there's somebody else um, that can be helpful. But I also think just having who's the friend that you call that you share life with, like yeah. this woman that um, I mentioned, uh, who was an English PhD student when I was a chemistry PhD student, we ended up going the whole five years together. Mm-hmm. And we continued to meet um, and at different stages at the beginning, it was like praying for the fellowship. Our last year, it was we would meet for breakfast every Monday morning and check in with one another on how's your writing going? What What are your goals for your dissertation this week? I would say, okay, this is what I need to do. And then we would ask each other the next week, how did that go? Did you get there? Like we prayed for one another. And so that having that kind of friendship Um, And whether that's you're a grad student or you're a faculty, but it's like, who's that person that you can do life with um, and encourage one another along the way? I want to ask you a question. Um, Your story has so many, so many twists and turns, so many junctions, and um, you seem to be in the habit of listening for God's direction. So I'm wondering if you can offer any advice to women who are at a decision point in their own lives as they seek to pursue their God-given callings. Yeah, think, thanks for noticing that. I, it's, it's definitely a habit that I've had to develop over time is like really asking God, seeking God, what do you want for this next season? And I think one of my prayers is often give me the eyes to see what you see Um, because I may not see what he's seeing. Um, I think, and then it's also asking these people who are around me in community, whether that's my small group from my church or it's um, colleagues that know me well, um, a trusted like spiritual director or mentor, um, who I'll, who I'll say, 
this is the opportunity in front of me. Um, how do you see my gifts being used? Do you think this is something I should say yes to? Um, would you pray with me mm-hmm. about it? Um, and so sometimes having like a discernment group around you when you're making kind of one of these transition times, and it may only be one other person, or it may be a couple of people that know you well, but I found that that's been really helpful um, to have other people who can sometimes see, yeah, this is why um, I think you should say yes to this. Um, it's interesting when I took this role, um, there was a GFM staff who came up to me and said, I don't know if you're applying for that job, but if you're not, call me and I'll tell you why you should. Oh, <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like, okay, well, you know, so just um, listening to those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes they're unexpected voices or there's unexpected turns. Um, and in my story, sometimes I was choosing and sometimes I wasn't. And then I was having to you know, just ask like, mm-hmm. okay, Lord, what do you have in this next season? And being open for it to look different than what I expected. Um, and then sometimes it's even different than when you step into a role than what you expected it to be. Yeah. Um, and so saying, okay, Lord, well, what do you have in this season? And how are you leading? Well, Lynn, it is still, you know, as we record this, um, it is still kind of in the early part of the new school year. So I would love to ask if you have any words of encouragement that you might offer to a new grad student or a new faculty member. That's a great question. I think that the key is, especially if you're in a new place, it's finding that community who's going to come around you. Um Maybe it's still staying connected to someone in your old place that you're praying with over Zoom or something mm-hmm. like that until you mm-hmm. and asking them to pray with you that you would find that community. Um, and it can be hard. I know for new faculty, there's just so much that comes at you. And if you're especially new to being a faculty, the prep and stuff like that. My husband's a faculty member, so I've seen it. I've observed it from the side. And I know the beginning of the year and how much there is to it, but I still say encouraging, like taking that Sabbath and maybe it's not a whole day, but it's still, it's taking the time to find a church. And so, um, and that can take time too, but just giving yourself grace, but, you know, going somewhere every week to see like, Lord, where would you have me um, in this time I think is, is key. So Sabbath, finding community, um, finding others that, yeah, that you can connect to. Mm -hmm. And if you want help with that, I know in grad and faculty ministry, we'd love to hear from you and we'd love to help you in finding those connections. And sometimes it might not look like there's a fellowship in your place, but we may know a couple of others who are coming in at the same time and we could connect you. And so we'd love to help you find that community. Well, Lynn, this has been such a great conversation. Is there a way that listeners can follow up or connect with you? I think I would love to hear, um, yeah, if there's people that you're saying, you know, this is what I feel like uh, as a female grad student I need in this season. Like that's, there'll be a a link that we can use that, um, or for a faculty, like 
hey, these are the kinds of resources that we're looking for. We would love to hear from you um, about that. I loved hearing about Lynn's process of discernment and her restorative spiritual habits and her love for community. It's a real treat to enjoy her leadership within graduate and faculty ministries. And as she said, we hope you reach out to her if you want to share your story of life in the academy. I've included her contact information in the show notes. And if you listen to the end of the credits, you'll get to hear a bonus from our podcast where Lynn talks about a few practical ways she balanced parenting with her career. The Women Scholars and Professionals podcast is hosted by me, Anne Boyd, and is a production of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. We acknowledge that the opinions of our guests may not necessarily represent the ministry, doctrine, or policies of InterVarsity. You can find more information about our podcast and the other cool things we are doing at thewell.intervarsity.org. Our work is funded solely through the donations of our listeners and supporters. So if you enjoyed this podcast, you might consider joining our support team by donating even $10 per month. You can find out how to do this at our website. To ensure others will find and enjoy our podcasts as well, please consider rating and reviewing our podcast and sharing it with others. And as we close, listen in on this excerpt from my conversation with Lynn. I think tips on having kids in the midst of, yeah, a career is, for me, it was about flexibility. So I had different seasons of my career. I worked different amounts of hours. Mm -hmm. And so um, recognizing that at some periods of time, I think I was as little as maybe 10 to 15 hours a week, and then all the way up to 40 hours a week. Um, And then having to be creative with childcare. So I think I've used every possible kind of type of childcare and person in my (laughs) life um, for when I was going to conferences. Sometimes it was grandparents. Sometimes grandparents would come with me. One time, here's a funny story. I had, um, I was going to a meeting and it was at a camp and I needed to have childcare. And so I had a friend and I realized she had two kids the same age as mine, like five and three. And I said, would you have any interest in bringing your kids with me to this camp? I think it's a great place to be, but you're going to have to watch four kids like for the week. Mm -hmm. Would you be willing to do that? And she had been a missionary and she's like, yeah, that would be fun to get to go up to the mountains and, you know, let the kids run around. and, and And so she came and we did a, I think it was about a seven hour road trip with two uh, five-year-olds and two three-year-olds. They may have actually been <laughs> a little bit younger than that. And um, and then spent a week in the mountains and returned. And it was, it was a memorable thing. Like we grew closer in that time. Our kids grew closer. And it was just a way that God provided mm. in that season. So just asking God, Lord, if you want me to do this, then help me to find the way. Yeah. Um, for who to do it. And and then I've also done it for, there was a new faculty who came to the university and my husband's like, this um, woman had just come and she's like, they had two small kids. Her husband was working at a hospital. He's like, is there any way you could watch them? Cause we have this department meeting and she has to be there and she doesn't know anybody here and school hasn't started. I'm like, sure, bring them over. And so, you know, I think as women, 
trying to help others out and you know we're willing to make it work for yeah when we see the need so don't be afraid to ask is what I learned from that is that sometimes God is yeah he can surprise us yeah I mean this is the thing that I think is really remarkable about you is that you seem very comfortable with recognizing a need and asking for help from community from God you know even just asking people for prayer, things like that, but that's not, that's, um, I think not everybody has such an easy time asking for, for what they need. Yeah. And I think maybe it gets easier after you see God provide in some kinds of remarkable ways that you didn't expect. Mm -hmm. Um, one other quick story is I wanted to take a seminary class and it was a two week intensive in Costa Rica. Um, but my son had something going on during that time, but my daughter didn't. And she was nine, maybe. So couldn't be home alone. And um, I felt like the Lord saying, well, see if you can bring her along. And I'm like, really, Lord, that doesn't seem appropriate to take. Well, it turned out I was like, but I just kept getting this strong sense, you should ask. So I emailed the faculty and said, I'm really interested. It was a course on Latin American history theology and culture. And I'm really interested in this class, but I have a nine-year-old daughter. I'm wondering if there's any way I could bring her along. I know this is not usual. Turns out she had a nine-year-old daughter who was coming along anyways. And the professor who was in Costa Rica had a 16-year-old daughter who was going to watch the kids. Oh, wow. And it totally worked out. But that was one of those where I was really hesitant to ask. Yeah. But the Lord provided and the girls had a great time. I got to learn and it was just a beautiful picture of God's provision 